Hi, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the Combinate Podcast. I'm your host, Subi Sade. On this episode, I was joined by Khadija Bano, who's the VP of Quality for Combination Products at Amgen. In this episode, we talk all things post-market surveillance. We talk about safety reports, databases for those reports. We talk about connecting safety and quality, the importance of cross-functional teams for risk management, different approaches to health hazard assessments, and we talk through some of the uh, differences in international expectations on these reports. I hope you enjoy this episode with Khadija. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and give it five stars. It really helps me out. And with that, here is Khadija. Um, so I wanted to focus on a different angle in terms of a combination products today, uh, post-market. So we've talked in the past about part four B in details, but maybe as we jump in, since that's the only part four legislative element that speaks to post-market, you know, I know there's Kappas and stuff like that, but this one has post-market in the title. Any any recent updates on post-market in the last year? Thank you, Subi. Glad to be here. Before I begin our discussion, I do want to put out the disclaimer. Uh, any and everything I say today is just my personal opinion. I do not represent any organization that I've, I'm either a part of or have worked at. Um, if you reflect on not just last year, but since the post-market safety reporting requirements have been implemented, there hasn't been too much um, enforcement in that space, which is good news for all of us in industry, either because we are doing a good job or because, as FDA has mentioned in some of the public forums, their emphasis with combination product is to have a more robust application process during the submission to ensure that there is robust information both on all the constituent parts. That has probably been where the enforcement and um, pressure, if you will, on industry has been. 
So from a post-market safety reporting, we have had, um, industry has seen many inspections, many, um, even global inspections and audits, and except for unless there are some significant challenges, I think industry has done a pretty good job of implementing Part 4B. Can you talk about the uh, kind of relationship that FDA has with adverse events specifically? Because they are involved, obviously, in the reporting process. So have you seen situations, not in the combination product space, speaking generally, where, for example, they, because they're involved in receiving the signal in some cases we have to report, where they are um, quick to enforce certain, I guess my question is less about the quality system element of post-market safety reporting. How are you doing it? What SOPs are you doing it? And more around the, if you've seen an actual issue, how quick are they to react? Yeah. So stepping back, if you think of post-market safety reporting for combination product and to your point, even otherwise, that science is very robust and very evolved. The infrastructure is very strong in that space. Pharmacovigilance-related requirements have been in place much longer because medicines um, originated, at least as an identity, way before. So I think that infrastructure, whether it's the FAIRS database or VAERS in case of vaccines and biologics. And there is a little bit of overlap, um, depends on what, where that application got approval. I believe FDA plays a very critical role and the response times, both industry and FDA, the response time is pretty good. Like I said, it has been an established science. The signal management piece, the post-market surveillance piece has continued to evolve over the years. And if you think about it for combination products that are drug or biologic primary mode of action, the requirement still expects us as manufacturers and market authorization holders to follow that approach in principle. So if your product is approved as a drug or biologic, you still continue to follow pharmacovigilance practices, use the same technology for submitting the reports. It's same for adverse events, serious adverse events, signal management. The complexity is added where now you have a device and a device constituent part for combination product that has been, that is now included in many of these post-market safety reports. So whether it's because a product complaint was co-reported with an adverse event, or if there is a causal relationship between the device malfunctioning 
and potentially causing the adverse events or the quality of a device constituent part resulting on an impact to the ultimate treatment that the patient did not receive or got suboptimal treatment. That's where I think the PMSR requirements come into play. And that is where the requests or the Part 4B clearly outlined that your primary mode of action still drives your primary reporting. But now with your device constituent part or biologic constituent part, you add on the additional unique reports that come with devices. The most common presentation that we, are, we see in industry is malfunction reports. So the 30-day malfunction reports are what have added the additional burden to post-market safety reporting from a day-to-day operations perspective. In terms of um, those, I don't even know if, I, if calling them secondary reports is appropriate, the non-primary mode of action reporting where there's involvement, um, are they all reported in the same database? If, for example, you have, a, you have an issue with a, a drug-led combination product, you submit your uh, five-day report or whatever the report is. Is it only in FAIRS or VAERS? Or if, no. it's a dev- if it's a device constituent, will it go into MOD? Um, it doesn't go into MOD. So Never. Fa- FAIRS, yeah, yeah. So FAIRS and VAERS are for um, expedited reports and for adverse event reporting. And periodic reporting. Even if you were to take, um, let's say, a drug, a small molecule, there are additional reporting requirements related to the quality aspect of the drug product that do not go into into fares. For example, a FAR, a field alert report. And I'm not even talking combination product. If there is a compromise or um, quality issue related to um, a drug product, then a FAR is, again, it has to meet all the requirements. I'm not going through the details, but the FAR report goes to a different office in a different format and answers very different questions compared to your 15-day report the expedited reports that go in. Similarly, for devices, you um, use, for example, MOD database for primary mode of action device to submit your 30-day malfunction reports. But then if there is a correction or removal, that gets communicated to your district office. So, and it's a different format. It some warrants additional... Uh, communications, additional documentation, whether it's a health hazard assessment. So inherently, reporting has two flavors, if I can call it that. One that goes into these standard databases, the other that goes either to the district or centers depends on 
what reporting you're talking about. And I think FDA did an, a very good job with examples in the guidance for Part 4B to outline all the different reports, the reporting requirements, because there is also variability in calendar days, business days, the date of awareness. So FDA did a very good job. I would encourage people, after having been in industry for such a long time, I still go back to that guidance to review and make sure I'm clear on what FDA expects from us. Yeah, so if I understood you correctly, the, there's the um, normal day-to-day -day reporting that would go into the database, and that's normal. And then there are things like field actions or uh, malfunction reports that result in a correction or removal where there's where you're actually doing something about it where you would notify a center or a district office. Yeah, those are usually reports that have either a significant risk of harm to the population or um, you have realized that there is a defective product lot out on the market or there is some compromise on quality of the product that's distributed. There are varying flavors of that. Um, that, again, depending on your product, your pro product primary mode of action, your additional constituent part, you need to clearly understand your reporting obligation. Since you're no longer in the safety-only space and have moved into the wider quality space, um, what's your experience been like managing product, things like management responsibilities, CAPAs, complaints, change management, risk? No, what I want to highlight is, first and foremost, management responsibility exists in both spaces, but the interpretation and the rigor differs between the same terminology often um, when it is originating from a GMP perspective versus uh, um, GCP, GLP, GXP perspective. And that has a lot to do with the rigor that comes with the device constituent part and some of the standards that the devices have to follow. Um, there is... Sorry, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is the burden of responsibility under management review is very prescriptive under the device quality regulations versus the drug biologic quality regulations. The essence is the same. So you are expected as management to ensure you are providing the right guidance, oversight, resources um, to enable safe and effective product in the market. When you look at the device regulations, there, you have to have procedures that describe what you are going to do, how you are going to do, conduct your management reviews, 
what data will be reviewed in that, what is your action in response to what you are seeing. That's what I mean by how prescriptive it gets. And a lot has to do with the concept that in a device, you should be able to control more effectively um, whether it's a design change or a continuous improvement or um, instructions for use, how you can enhance that patient experience as you learn more about the product in the hands of patients. So that's what I mean by once you go from a single modality to a combination product, appreciation of the differences between the same task and the rigor or um, the requirements that are very specific one way or the other is key to success post-market, but also to success from a quality management point of view. Um, and again, going back to your question about in a broader quality role now, how do I see things differently? So safety continues to have its position and its leadership in protecting from a safety perspective the population. That has only enhanced with the combination product because now the safety team has to take into account harms, hazards, hazardous situations related to the device. Not only the device, but device interacting with your drug product or biologic and its impact on even the delivery, but also the quality when the two interact with each other. So it has enhanced more. If you look at the flip side of that, as someone who's lived in safety most of my career, I now believe engaging and breaking down the barriers between safety and quality is even more important. One, it requires us to educate bidirectionally. So just like the term terminology that quality uses, safety needs to understand the opposite is true. We need to understand the concepts that each side uses what are the implications? And to me, the best place to do that is as you develop your risk management documentation very early on. The sooner you can get your cross-functional team, and I keep focusing on quality and safety, but it's way more than that. It's your regulatory team. And we often miss out on including our commercial team, our marketing teams, our human factors are by default in there with us. But the broader you make your cross-functional team to bring that voice of customer combined with the efficacy, the effectiveness, plus your manufacturing sites, we sometimes Think of them as an afterthought. 
Many of these sites have already gathered a lot of intelligence, especially if a company is using platform approach. They have a lot of information on how you can really leverage efficiencies in manufacturing, but also ideas on how you can continuously improve your platform and your next product, how it can evolve. While a lot of it is driven by complaints, that's the natural way we go about it, there is the manufacturability. Challenges you get with manufacturing, challenges you get with labeling, that you need to pull in the right people early on, gather the input, let them go back to their world, but define at what stages you need their input back again in order for you to continuously evolve your combination product. In terms of risk management, diving a, a little bit deep into that, um, and on platforms specifically, I think it, it can be challenging just the way that uh, the drug quality data and the drug uh, surveillance data is gathered versus um, looking at it as a platform. Uh, have, have you seen any good way to handle platform? You know, I guess I'm saying like things like annual product quality reviews are typically done on pr the SKU. Yes. You sometimes maybe the product family, but there's not much variation between the two and won't be looking at the whole picture. Um, and you obviously have to look at the whole picture, but I'm just wondering tactically if you've seen that done well. Yeah. So it depends on the company's decision, how to approach it. If the company chooses to, and I see this more in the vaccines business where there is usually standard platform that's used across multiple vaccines. What I have seen is there is a different rhythm for the platform level product review data, but there is in addition, when they go through that exercise of platform review, filtering out and creating appendices based on product, especially risk-based. So if you have a preventative therapy, prophylactic therapy, therapy for chronic use versus acute use, you can have procedures in place that can argue or have position papers and white papers that distinguish between that risk-based approach that let's say if I have a misdose on a vaccine, I can always get the second one and take the vaccine versus on a life-saving drug, its severity is the highest. So does not, while the malfunction might be the same, how you act on it, how it impacts your patient population may vary. Yeah, and that, again, that, in, in other words, the hazardous situation is the same, but the harm is different. Harm is, yes, yes. So you may still need to take a correction or a field action much broader 
And again, it depends on the issue, the significance of an issue, and the mitigations that are in place. And your ability to defend from a health hazard assessment or evaluation, your thinking, having that discussion with FDA to make sure there is alignment, helps. So I really like that um, appendix idea. I've actually, um, I've personally, I've always disliked uh, using worst case when it comes to safety, because I think it you you lose a lot. And so if, for example, you have a platform and you're constraining all product by um, the a, a, a control that's in place to assess a, a, a subfamily with it, basically... It divides it into subfamilies, even though there are different products that may be something like life-saving, they would be in a certain arena, whereas, you know, even though technically it's the same device constituent, it may be looking at subfamilies versus everything together. I do think that's helpful. Health hazard assessment, just a unrelated to Postmark, but health, health hazard assessment versus HA, what's the difference? It's different flavors, different names of a similar documentation um, because it's the safety team members holistically looking at all the safety data, looking at the issue at hand and giving their um, opinion about the impact of the issue, the risk of the issue, the risk of harm. And um, it is one of the key factors that plays into your decision of what you want to do with the product. Oh, and so health hazard assessment is a... Um, it's called HHEs, health hazard evaluations. Evaluation, yeah. You usually see FDA completing that form. Um, is that right? It's... Yeah, so FDA, I think, goes through their own health hazard evaluation, even though I have seen in my career, uh, mostly from a device perspective, based on my background, but also drug quality issues. We, would, we do try to submit everything we know in the form of our health hazard evaluation but I know FDA also goes through that exercise. And oftentimes they use the data that we've submitted in some of these FAR, BPDR, or correction and removal reports to come up with their own risk rating. Um, I have to say most of the time it aligns pretty well because we um, use Similar scales, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, very rarely have I seen a discrepancy. And that's where I think a dialogue, a discussion is helpful with FDA and the manufacturer. Um, can you talk about, we talked about the, the U.S. approach to reporting a little bit, but what about international? I started doing some, I started getting more exposure to other jurisdictions and where here we have in serious uh, AE um, 
a malfunction, suspected malfunction in Canada, for example, there's incidents, near incidents, and in Europe, it's different as well. Um, what's the... Is yeah. There, is, there, is there one one way that addresses every single, or is it all different? Um, the terminologies are all different. The timing, the most important challenge is the timelines are very different. If you think of the, the essence is very similar. There may be a word or two different um, on how um, a particular jurisdiction expects you to define a serious adverse event or an incident or um, event, but this more serious ones are expected to be filed in an expedited manner across all the geographies you have in certain countries a 24-hour reporting time frame now. And which, which countries are those? On in the eastern part of the globe, in China, there are certain depends on what criteria you meet, a significant risk of harm, you are expected to turn around those reports in 24 hours. And that's where, please don't quote me on this, because I'm not a regulatory expert. But to me, the way I have seen it done well is for a post-market surveillance team, whether it's a pharmacovigilance or device safety reporting, looking at the geographies in which you have the responsibility for reporting, ensuring you understand the types of reports, the timing of the reports, most importantly, the criteria of the report. Because in certain areas, congenital malformation are required. In others, they are silent on congenital malformation. In certain jurisdictions... What does that expo mean? So, in the U.S., if someone reports that they took a medication and they were pregnant mm. at that time and the baby is born with congenital malformations, there's explicit requirements that has to be reported as an expedited report. There are many other jurisdictions where, because the companies probably already understand it from a U.S. perspective, they might choose to submit reports, even though it's not explicitly asked as part of the expedited report. So that's what I'm trying to say is, usually organizations, once they lay those requirements out, they use the most common, most conservative approach and will leverage their local affiliate experts in safety or in quality to guide them. So once you take the most conservative, you submit the reports, the local team will run it against the local requirements and will decide whether it's reportable or not. And oftentimes that is captured, that rationale and that reference to the local reg 
regulation is captured in the database. That brings a lot of efficiencies. There are other organizations that already have inbuilt, depends on the software applications you are using, the decision trees. So once you pull up a product and you say, here's the issue, it runs all the decision trees based on acknowledging what geographies that product is marketed in and gives you the end result of reportability, yes or no. And then it still usually goes to your local member because many of these need to be translated. Some tools offer that translation already. So again, the tool. Interesting. yes, yes. And populating the local safety report form. Wow. Um, th that's interesting. And effectively, um, the essence is the same in terms of the reporting. The things that are more serious need to be reported more expeditiously, whatever that means in terms of timeline. The definitions are typically some going from serious to not so serious and then suspected versus actual. Yep. Um, and you, you may have a format that addresses most of the issues, but the use of the affiliate uh, local expertise um, and some inbuilt things like uh, translation and mandatory um, local requirements that are inbuilt into software addresses addresses the gaps between the two. Khadija, where can people find you? I'm on LinkedIn. I, but even otherwise, I think I present in quite a few forums. Um, they can reach me. I do mentor quite a few individuals um, in industry um, through their professional journey because I've had the privilege and um, I'm grateful and humble. So ping me on LinkedIn if there are things that you want to brainstorm. And um, I'm always happy to be of help to people through their career journey. Very good. Thank you for coming on again, Khatija. You're welcome. Always a pleasure.